Welcome back to MarTech Zone. On today's show, we have John Qualls. John is the president and CEO of Purposely, a platform that enables organizations to benchmark their culture for employee acquisition, retention, and growth. This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I am here with John Qualls. John is a longtime friend. John, oh my gosh, we've been uh, we've been friends now probably 15, 12, 12 years, probably twelve years, I think. Uh, uh, met each other at, tw- uh, at uh, ten, right? Or something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish, right? Uh, but, but yeah, it's been a good twelve or fifteen years, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a good friend, confidant, uh, entrepreneur here in town. Uh, I've helped, uh, I think, uh, several companies that you've been working with. You know, I've been in and out of the door on, and just a incredible mutual respect for for one another. Um, Indianapolis isn't, it's not a huge veteran community. It's, it's, uh, and in fact, where other communities, I think they go veteran first. They, that's how they announce themselves. I think Indianapolis is one of those ones where you get to know someone like you. And then six months later, you find out, wait a second, you're a vet. Oh, where'd you, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, where'd you serve and stuff. And maybe that's because we're such a, a, a city that's kind of an ecosystem of all these universities. And so, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always good to have in, um, having discussions with you and, and maybe tell everybody, you know, you were in the Marine Corps where you served and then all the way through to, um, you know, your newest endeavor. Oh, okay, well, that's a long story now. I'm pretty long in the tooth, but I'll see if I can shorten that up a little bit. Uh, I grew up on the west side of Indianapolis. Um, uh, you know, back in the day, the, the military used to save you, and I really think it saved me. Uh, you know, I was uh, running around making poor decisions, doing the wrong thing. Uh, but I uh, graduated from high school, joined the Marine Corps uh, July 4th, 1987, right? There's a, there's probably some uh, Yeah, that's some awesome. Civic, civic thing, right? The July 4th. Uh, that's when I, I shipped out on July 4th, uh, Marine Corps, uh, Hollywood Marine. Those will know what that means. Uh, had a, a great time there, uh, graduated September 25th. You know, what's amazing is how much you can remember at platoon 3087, yeah. right? And, uh, third battalion. Uh, yeah. So, so many things that you can, uh, remember about that. But anyway, so got out of that. Uh, then I wound up in, uh, Maryland, uh, Aberdeen Proving Grounds, uh, for uh, military occupation specialty training, as trained as a diesel mechanic. Uh, for anybody that knows me, that's kind of funny. But uh, trained as a diesel mechanic, first thing he did was send me to Japan, Okinawa, Japan, and the vehicle I was trained to learn on. Uh, not a single one within probably five thousand miles. <laughs> so, uh, and this is part of the, I think, part of the military experience, right? Is uh, they're gonna, they got you. They're gonna figure something to do something with you. And uh, so they ended up put, because I knew how to type, uh, they put me in uh, uh, S3 operations. And over there was with an organization called Third Maintenance Battalion. So it was, they put together S2 and S3 uh, together. So intelligence and operations. So a uh, great time in Japan. Uh, did my year over there, my tour duty. Uh, wow, so much. Uh, it was such a different time back then. You know, no, no internet, right? Right. I remember getting there, and uh, all the movies were six to eight months old. Right. right? And, uh, and actually, so when I came back, I didn't recognize a single song in the top 40. Not a single song. And to this day, I've run across songs and movies that I've never heard of that people are like, oh, that's a great, you know, that's one of my favorite blankety blanks. And I'm like, did it come out in 1988? And they're like, yes, it did. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Whitney Houston, never heard of her, right? Who's Whitney Houston? Yeah. So uh, came back, uh, shipped me down to uh, Lejeune, down in uh, uh, North Carolina, and uh, did the did the Gulf War. Uh, let's see, I was what was it? Second LAR Battalion, Light Armored Infantry Battalion, now Light Armored Reconnaissance Battalion. Uh, yeah, so it's down there. Uh, met my wife in Philadelphia in the middle of all this. That's a long story, but uh, one of the greatest gifts that the military gave me. And then uh, did the Gulf War, came back, uh, wanted to be a lifer. Uh, but then they were redu- all the reductions in the military and end up getting out and uh, coming back to Indianapolis with my new bride. And 
and was just looking for uh, a job, I guess, right? So as interesting, I think about what's going on today and what these folks coming out, uh, they're going to be looking for a job, right? And looking to, to do something. So I got into technology uh, because I was, I did a lot of the technology when I was in the military, ended up working for some insurance uh, place as their tech guy. I did that for a while. And then uh, uh, somewhere I had, a, I had a kid, a couple kids. Uh, they were a startup, by the way. And then I, then I left and went to another company was selling uh, software uh, development stuff or what called uh, database-driven websites, right? Nice. Uh, for a company called Williams Randall, uh, Jerry Randall, great company. Oh, great guy. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. And, uh, you know, I was on a podcast or something with the Genesis not recently, and I tell this whole story about, you know, I've sold almost a million dollars of business out of, out of uh, Noble Books, right? You know, I, I didn't know how to sell, right? Um, but I figured I would be in the bookstore and I would watch where the computer books were and I would watch to see if anybody went over there, you know, the, you know started to read HTML. And then I'd come over and say, you know, if it was database driven, you wouldn't have to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was kind of, maybe I was a creeper, right? And, you know, maybe I just say sketchy. Uh, but I just sit there, drink coffee, and just watch those books and see if anybody, anybody went over there. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so did did that. Uh, then I had a startup in there that, uh, see, it started and ended, and I think, in 90 days. What a gift, right, that was. I think uh, I, I didn't I didn't start it myself, but there was some embezzlement or something at the high level. And oh, no. It went, went poof quick. Uh, what a great lesson to learn, though, right? Uh so did that, um, involved in a couple of different startups and then, uh, a company, one call communications, one call internet, uh, did that. And we ended up doing co-location, right? So data centers renamed it to in-frame, sold it, uh, started uh, blue lock, uh, did that for many years, uh, just sold that a few years back. And then the opportunity to give back in a nonprofit in uh, 1150 Academy, a coding, coding Academy. Uh, yeah, so that was, was a long story. That's been the whole, the big journey. And, uh, man, have I met so many, uh, people along the way, you know, I, I somehow became, you know, I, I went from being a, like a diesel mechanic to end up kind of being involved in business development and sales and then leadership and then starting companies. I found that most of the companies I've been a part of, I was, I was kind of part of the first five or so. Uh, so something crazy, some broken thing in my head that makes me do these things. But uh, it's it's an addiction. I'm there too. Yeah. As as soon as I get revenue straight and everything's going in the right direction, I wind up doing another startup. <laughs> yeah. You see another. You see this other problem, and that's I think the opportunity that we have now um, is you know those folks coming out of the military. Uh, what they have is this unique ability uh, to just do and execute. Yes. Right? And uh, so often I, I see people freeze and they want to overthink things. But you know what? Just do it and, uh, you know, figure it out along the way. And that's what happens in chaos. And in chaos, people tend to gravitate to people who seem like they know what they're doing or at least they're they're doing something right. instead of just sitting around, right? Yeah, exactly. There's a great story on that. I, I, I'm not going to be able to give it justice, but it's something about if you were trapped on an island – right? With a group of people. And uh, one person says, I don't know what's on the other end of the island, but there might be, uh, but I suspect there's there's uh, something on the other end of the island that will save us and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to get away and, and save, you know, find a way out. But then there's another person says, no, we're just going to sit here. We've got a week's worth of, of food. And, um, and if we just sit here, we'll be, we'll be found, right? And it's like the, the, the kind of the story is, which one do you go with? The person who says, I'm going to go do something and maybe control our destiny, or am I going to sit and let the destiny come to us? And so the, the, the kind of the story is, which, which group would you want to be part of? We see that in corporations every day, kind of this management type protectionism. Hey, let's keep things status quo because I have predictive outcomes and I understand. And, and then we have the other side, which is innovation and change and everything else. And so I, I often see where these companies struggle 
because they don't want to change, not because they shouldn't, <laughs> but just because it, I, there was, there was one story that I, I was, I told people it was a true story where I was working with a company that was doing uh radio advertising and, um, and month after month, they were getting declining returns on their radio advertising. Not much, just a, just a little bit less every time. And so they, they knew in their heart of hearts that they had to do digital. They knew that they really needed to start looking at search engine optimization and pay-per-click and everything else. And, uh, but they couldn't predict it. And so they just kept going until they died. It wasn't radio's fault. It was just that market share was changing and behaviors were shifting and everything else. And and they should have kept doing radio because that was where a majority of their money was coming in. But they refused to invest in digital just because they didn't understand it. They weren't comfortable with it. And they, they knew what to expect with radio. Even though their business was declining, it put them at a level of comfort. I tell people it was the, uh, it's the guys playing violin while the Titanic was going down, right? <laughs> hey, you know, at a big scale, it was Kodak, right? Kodak, Kodak had the opportunity to go digital and do all this stuff with digital uh, cameras and everything else, but their market share was film. And like, we're a, we're a film company, right? And they're going to ride that film all the way down. And, um, yeah, so and you probably picked that in a lot of different industries. Well, and, but, and you talked about the military too. One of the things that I want to throw in here that a lot of people, I think, the two misconceptions that I always hear about the military. One is um, people, you know, well, the military is easy from a leadership standpoint because people have to do what they're told. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, okay, well, let's get past that BS, right? <laughs> exactly, because you know you're you're out at sea working twenty four seven, taking shifts, or or you know in your in your case in in you know in Japan and and everything else, you're you're not going to work hard if you're under leadership that you don't trust and love and respect. And and so the problem is is that when you see a in the Navy, you'll see a ship that's in dry dock all the time. Or you'll see a ship that's out at sea all the time. And the difference isn't the equipment. They have the same exact equipment. The difference is the leadership they have on board and the drive and enthusiasm of the, the men and women working under that incredible command that they trust. And so I always tell people, like, I think it was almost harder in the military because you didn't have boundaries of work hours and uh, you all wore the same uniform. You all got up and, and went to sleep at the same time. Different ranks, but nobody's, you, you can't give them more money. Yeah. You can't buy, you can't buy their loyalty. That's exactly right? it. And so it was, to me, it was even harder to build that level, especially, and, and then you have interchanging all the time, right? New leadership, yeah. new people in and out all the time. And, and so, you you had to become a leader really fast and you had to build the trust and commitment of your crew incredibly fast if you wanted to succeed and and that was one aspect of it the other aspect of it was uh, you were your own ecosystem and so if you couldn't wait for someone to come fix something <laughs> You, you, if, figure it out. you had to figure it out. And I, I, I always tell people like, that's one of the things that we continue to see, especially from tech companies that hire veterans is they love hiring veterans because veterans don't sit back and wait for training. They don't, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say other, a non-veteran whines and complains, but you have a certain aspect of employees that are waiting to be shown what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And you have a veteran that goes, Oh yeah, I looked that up. I figured it out. Here's how we can do it. Or or they find someone that knows how and they teach themselves and so that self guidance aspect and self sufficiency is huge too. One of the things I thought was great in the, the Marine Corps and I know this is on all branches but um so this whole term of uh, good initiative bad judgment. And and what they're really saying was I want to reward the fact that you took initiative. Now let me teach you how to have a little better judgment, right? Versus the you're fired because you took the initiative. Right. Right. right? And it's kind of like they, they never get rewarded for taking the initiative, right? For action, right? When, when they say the worst thing to do is is indecision is worse than decision, right? Yeah. So make a decision. Right. right. And I always like telling stories, particularly when I talk to friends who hadn't been in the military, different uh, stories. I'm sure you got some of these, but there was one uh, I remember uh, vividly. 
So I was uh, standing in the back of the, the barracks. They had these stairs on the outside. And I was standing at the top. Uh, you know, I didn't smoke or anything, but that's usually where the smokers were. But I was on like the, the third floor. And these things went down two. And it was outside, right? So that the stairs were outside. And I'm looking out over the parking lot. And down below me is uh, this master gunnery sergeant. So those who don't know, that's an E-9 in the Marine Corps, which is the highest that you can get, right? So master gunnery sergeant. And uh, and I worked for this master gunnery sergeant. I loved him to death. Right? Uh, Alonzo, uh, Lorenzo Seward was his name, right? Uh, but, yeah, so master guns uh, was down there, and he smoked. And so he's smoking a cigarette, and uh, he's got his – He's kind of back in a certain way. And a second lieutenant, what we call a butter bar, right? This would be the 01, the lowest level of officers, right? So uh, this 01 goes by. And uh, now in the military, if you're enlisted and there's an officer, then you must initiate the salute. And then they they salute back. And then you you take your salute down. Then they take their salute down, right? And one of the first things that they, they teach you is that you're not saluting it's not respect for the person, it's for the rank, right? And so this this uh, second lieutenant, Butter Bar, we call them Butter Bars because they had gold bars, right? right? Was like, uh, hey, Marine, where's that salute, right? And the thing is that he just didn't see this guy, right? Uh, so, you know, Master Gun sees him. And then so, you know, and, and this uh, second lieutenant's like, you know, you lock your body up and throw a salute. And so, you know, Master Guns is just kind of, you know, casually comes to attention, salutes him. And then the, the second lieutenant salutes him back. And then, you know, the second lieutenant starts to, like, teach him something about saluting. Yeah. And uh, now remember, this is a guy who's been in the Marine Corps now, about 28 years, been in combat, saw combat, Vietnam, right? Gulf War, all these things, right? So the lieutenant starts to run his mouth. And uh, Master Guns is like, uh, Lieutenant, I want you to close your mouth before you say something that's really going to upset me. <laughs> <laughs> and that Lieutenant is kind of like, you know, he's not sure where to go with this because he does realize he's now talking to an E-9. I think when he first asked for the salute, he didn't realize he was talking to an E-9, right? I mean, this is a guy who's probably been out of OCS officer training school, you know, for four months. And here's somebody with 28 years. And Master Guns, in a very tactful way, um, undressed this guy down to nothing. <laughs> to, to he was a little, you know, stain on the on the floor, and then put him back up, talking to him about leadership, talking to him about if you're going to lead men in my Marine Corps, and if you want to be our Marine Corps, this is the way you're going to lead men, and this is how you're going to earn respect, and this is how you're going to, right? Now, this isn't some Master Guns with some big uh, degree or anything else, right? Uh, this is, this is just a, a, a guy, I can't remember where he's from, maybe Mississippi or something, I think if I remember correctly, but, but, uh, just completely takes him apart and puts him back, you know? And so when Master Guns is done, what does this lieutenant do? But salutes, <laughs> salutes him. Because you know, at the end, you're, in a conversation, you're supposed to salute each other. Right. But he was so, uh, so keyed up, right? So instead of letting the Master Guns initiate the salute, he does he ends up throwing a salute, and uh, the second lieutenant just kind of goes walking off. And I, I tell you, it was a great lesson. Right, and I stand up there, you know, observing all this. Master Gun turns around, and he starts coming up the stairs, and he sees me. He's like, "How long you been standing there?" And I said, "Long enough to see that." <laughs> <laughs> and he did. It was just a grin, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't like, "Oh, I got him." It was, you know, I was just teaching this guy what what our Marine Corps is about and how these things work. Right. And so, you know, people not in the military think that, uh, Oh, because they're officers. Um, yeah, we'll respect their, their rank, but we're not, the person has to earn it. Yeah, they really do. And I've known some great, I mean, some officers just taught me so much. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, these are the kind of lessons I think we're going to learn a lot as we, you know, when, when times are down like this is when the true leaders, I think rise and, uh, and people will gravitate to them. Uh, yeah. And, and great followers too, right? Take, to be a great leader also means to be a great follower at times. So, yeah, I, I see how that all plays out. 
I totally agree. Um, you know, as we're talking about uh, your newest endeavor, and, and and the other thing too that people should really listen to here is your journey from enlisted diesel mechanic all the way through to CEO, founder, co-founder, uh, <laughs> tech companies. These are highly technical companies, training academies. You know, everything else is you're just not afraid of a challenge, and then and then you go attack it. And I think that says a lot too for. Um, you know, for people out there that might be worried, they might be worried about changing. Like I, I joke with people that almost everybody that I meet that has a degree in marketing in the marketing field doesn't have a marketing degree. It's hilarious. They have oceanography degrees and they have biology degrees and they have everything but. And and I always joke about that. Young people are always on this path where they got their bachelor's, maybe maybe even their master's degree, and then for the next eight years, they are unhappy uh, trying to conquer this career that they they set their goals on in their entire life for and and are disappointed over and over and over again. And I always tell them like, you know, about I, I don't know when it was with you, but about the time that I was probably in my mid thirties, I was, I was an industrial electrician in the Navy. And it was probably about my mid thirties where I was like, Ugh, this is, it's not fun getting electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just not my thing. And, uh, and, and everything that I had grown my career for, everything that I had trained for, everything that I got educated on, I left and actually became more successful and happy and everything else. And I, I feel like there's a lesson there with you where embrace the opportunities that you see, the trails that uh, it might not be the trail that you planned on, but it's a better trail that you could. Oh, it's absolutely. Yeah. Here, here, here's how I look at it, right? So there, there's a reason why you know I named this new venture uh, purposely, this thing around purpose. Because when I was doing the nonprofit, I ran into so many people who who truly were just trying to find their purpose. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I used to think that we were we were fixing broken purposes. Remember the, uh, the, the uh, barbershop said we, we fixed $7 haircuts, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we were fixing people who's, who's you know, maybe got a degree and it's something that wasn't aligned to their purpose. But so uh, purpose, right? So remember I lived in Japan for a year. There's a thing called Ikigai, uh, which means why do you get up in the morning, right? So it's kind of what, what's your purpose? And I think everybody's trying to find their, their purpose. And, and I feel like I've found uh, a, a purposeful life, uh, right? I'm, I'm always you know working on things, right? But uh, that purpose piece. So here's what happens over and over again. You end up, you do get that degree and, and you keep thinking, I'll just keep, I'll keep getting a, a degrees and keep investing in my education. Uh, I remember in the military, uh, not in the military, but in the, in the uh, during I was running the, the boot camp, I had a call from this mother and it was a young lady who was going to come to our course. And she said, listen, she's been in college for eight years. This is it. She's always one class away from getting a job, right? And what it is, is just this whole fear uh, of getting out there and, and doing it. And she, you know, gone left and right and changed her major three or four times. And she goes, this is it. Right. And then, and this young lady came in and she just, she just rocked it. She kind of found her thing, but, but when you don't find your thing or you force yourself, right. To do it for the wrong reasons. Um, I like to think of this, you ever gone to the, the grocery store and you just go grab one of those carts and you start pushing the cart. And what happens is that front right wheel, just a wobbling, right? Just wobbling, right? But you're, you're not going to be there very long. So you're thinking, well, I'll just go down a couple aisles. I'm just going to pick up a couple of things and it's going to be okay. And you go about 70 feet and then you turn around and you go back and you swap that thing out because it drives you crazy. So what we do as humans, and this is important, I think people coming out of the military, but I think just for everyone, is that sometimes you, you maybe you do take a job exchanging time for money, which is okay in the beginning, right? When you're looking for just a job, right? But eventually that job becomes a career and a career becomes a vocation. But if you're driving it and it's not really aligned to who you are, right? It's like that wheel that's wobbling. So if you've ever driven, I got lots of analogies, but you ever driven a car that's out of alignment and like pulls really hard to the left yeah. or right? You can drive that car, right? You can drive it for a long time. And so now you're going down the road 70 miles an hour with this car that's been out of alignment and you've got 8,000 miles on it, right, out of aligned, and the one tire is bald, and then that tire blows, and what do you have? A bunch of collateral damage. Yeah. Right? And what you have when you run in your life, 
right? And it's not aligned and attuned to who you are. When you take a job that's not aligned to who you are, right? Or when you allow relationships around it, it just aren't aligned. That that wheel is a wobbling or, or it's pointing the wrong direction. At some point, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And that's where these midlife crises come from, right? Marriages, failed businesses, bankruptcies, right? You've been driving this thing so hard, pointing in the wrong direction. At some point, there's got to be a correction. And then there's this big correction and, you know, some really bad things happen. But sometimes then they figure out what their real thing is and they couldn't be happier. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm no longer at that big company. I'm at this little company. I never could be happier. Or I'm at this uh, big company and not this little company. And I never could be happier. Right. Because they've now because at that point, they're so low. The only way up is there's no further to go down, right? So it's how it's not how high you, how it's not how low you go, it's how high you bounce. And so they end up bouncing, but then they start selecting things that are really aligned to what their real interests are, right? So where I started is kind of this icky guy thing, right? At the end of the day, what are you good at, right? And point that to a problem that you care about, that the world needs solved, and willing to reward you for it. That's true purpose, right? And so I would say. I've no, we've never had this discussion together, you and I, Doug. But uh, I think that Doug is really good at articulating um, words and putting, you know, words that people may think, and the ability to actually get it out there, right? So your ability to, to craft those words from a communication style, right, and have see people see it, right, and have their reaction um, be genuine and genuine towards the companies who can't get their communication out. Right. So that's the problem that they have. And then and they need that problem and they probably reward you uh, with a few nickels or whatever to make that happen. Right. And you're like, I can't believe I get up every day because you really love doing that. Right. Yeah, I, so, I think you're exactly right. You know, what do I, what I did I, what I figured out that I was good at was applying a process to help improve these people's marketing efforts. And it's, and it's over a hundred companies or whatever. It just keeps getting fine tuned and better and better and better. And so I want to keep sharing that with more and more companies to get them in the right shape. But you're absolutely right. And, and I don't, I don't look at it as a marketing problem most of the time. I just look at it as a, a business issue that everybody has. I like there if I don't care whether you're GoDaddy or Dell or you're the mom and pop shop down the street. Uh, it's the same issues. And sometimes the mom and pop shop has a much easier time because they're agile and responsive and everything else than these massive companies that are bureaucratic and protectionist and you know and everything but else. There's always tremendous opportunities in chaos and there's opportunities to to redo something that wasn't the way you wanted it to be. You know, and, I, and again, I think this is all the way through, right? Personally, you yep. know, professionally, you know, how many times have you, you had an idea, you put something together to solve it and you took it to the market and then it gets beat up and then you have to kind of move it, you know, and you kind of, you know, you, you modify it a little bit. If you had your choice of going back and starting over, maybe kind of flushing it clean and then building it back up, you might do it differently. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the mentality I think we need to think about when we get on the other side of this is, okay, well, it is what it is, one of my favorite sayings, and how, how am I going to rebuild it or, or, or re-look at this uh, to make a better future and not just the new norm, right? So, yeah. Uh, and, and like you say, you, you've done the same thing, right? Sometimes you have to take a step back and, and uh, you know, and, and the balance I think for entrepreneurs is, you know, there's, there's one part of us that is uh, hard headed right? and we want to and we know we just got to keep pushing. Right. But another side is like, you know, well, look, uh, let's just take a little angle. Right. Um, there is, uh, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. And one of the, the things there, I think it was Chesty Puller uh, maybe was famous for during uh, some some big battle. They had to retreat. And he's like, retreat. Hell, we were just fighting in a different direction. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, they were surrounded, right? And uh, that's why I see it here, right? So I don't think we should think of it as retreat. We should just think of it as, hey, we're going to fight the good fight in another direction. And we need to figure out what that direction is, right? There's some things that look really dark and bleak to me, and there's other things that look really good to me. The, the dark and bleak is we've been running on debt 
at a personal level, corporate level, and government level for so long now that there's there's we're below bottom, and so that bubble, it, it, you know, you can't have valuations anymore based on dreams. The valuations now are going to be based on tangibles. And so unfortunately we don't have anywhere, we don't have room anymore. We used to have room and now we don't. And so, so that we're seeing that with the 10 million people in the last two weeks unemployed, which is literally when you do the math, trillions of dollars to the budget, the national gross domestic product, products that aren't going to be built and products that aren't going to be sold. So that's the bad bleak side. But the good side is, honestly, you know this and I know it, that we were ravaged with products and consultants and services that weren't producing because everything was fat. And so companies maybe got a little bit lazy, a little bit lax on how they were going to measure success, how they were going to actually in the talent pool, uh, you know, here in Indianapolis, in, in the industries that I work in. There was just a giant sucking sound to hire anybody, you know, there was the breath test, you know? Yeah. And this is why, you know, I started thinking about town optimization and, uh, there goes some fire trucks or something. Yeah. Uh, so town optimization, let me, if I can give you like 30, 60 seconds of, of kind of my vision of, of this or our vision, I wouldn't say we've invented it, but this is where I think is the. Uh, if, you, if you think about on the technology side, right, we used to have ASPs, right? And then we had SaaS providers and infrastructure as a service and then and software as a service. And then it was a cloud, right? Yeah. Uh, what I think is happening in the people space is this next wave of talent optimization. So what is talent optimization? At the end of the day, you have your business strategy and you have the outcomes that you want with it. And what's in the middle? Most of the time, it's the people. Absolutely. And how do you design the right team? How do you hire the right people? How do you inspire the ones you got? And how do you diagnose the people problems that are going on inside that pool, right? So that's that's talent optimization. And so if I kind of break those down quickly, you know, designing the right team. You know, one of the problems I see constantly is, you know, there's five stages of companies. Right? I don't know if you've ever heard it done this way, but but to me is there's the raw startup, right, which requires a creative leadership, right? And then there's what I like to call the emerging value uh, company, right? This is the company that actually has the ability to, to add value like more than once, right? Um, and so they're kind of this emerging value, right? And that requires directive leadership. Not a huge team. Just kind of do what I say, right? And we're, we're doing something, right? Yeah. We're, we're forming out that early stage team. And then they switch into growth mode. Now you're looking at delegatory leadership. You know, how many times, and I've been guilty of this as well, how many times is a company um, stalled because the leader can't delegate? Right. right. They can't, you know, they can't bring in, they can't build a team to allow people to run, you know, and delegate this stuff. And then you have established, which a lot of times requires a governance type of leadership, right? To become, start to protect the risk, right? And last one is decline. I like to always say, you know, if you're running a microfish business, it's probably pretty efficient, right? You got to squeeze every nickel out of that business. You know, it's kind of like a, selling fax machines, right? Yeah. I'm, they're still out there, but I bet you they've got those things down to the, you know, right. pennies when it comes to moving things, right? So those are the different things. But so when you're designing a team, you have to think about, well, where are we? And what does that team look like? Right? Uh, the second one on the hiring, you know, to me, this is exactly what you're talking about. I always wanted to hire based on my gut, right? Uh, you know, whether they had a heartbeat and I'd always hire for briefcase, Right? What do I think they could do for me? Right? And what happens is you end up hiring for what I like to think of as competency, and then you fire for behavior and fit. Right? Right. It's just like this constant cycle. So, you know, to me is hire harder so that you can manage easier. Yeah. Right? Hire harder so you can manage easier. Then on the the inspire side is, you know, people want to feel uh, led and they want to feel like they have a path and they want to feel uh, this is where the culture and things come in. Right? I, I want to feel like I'm part of something. And and everybody is different, right? This is, you know, we can talk about diversity, right? But the diversity of thought, diversity of personality, that's a greater uh, a greater gap than kind of all the others, right? Uh, you know, if you have the right culture, you can solve some of the, the minority diversity issues, right? 
But then you run into these other diversity uh, challenges, you know, human nature diversity challenges, style, things like that. And then uh, just the, the diagnosis is we spend so much money, not only on people, but I think this is a general problem, of constantly throwing money at the symptoms, right? Yeah. Let's throw, let's throw a policy at the symptom. Yeah. Let's, let's go throw some money at the symptom. And what we do with people is we throw the effort at the incident, right? So I always have a little story, right? So, so last week, I'm making this up. Last week, you got Joe and Sally, and they were in a meeting, and it got heated. And Sally called Joe a blank. Fill in whatever you want, right? Sally's been with the organization for 13 years. She's been rock solid. And then she just blows up, right? Uh, Joe's been with the organization for two years, right? Now, so that's an incident. But wait a minute. Sally's gay. Joe's black. She's Republican. He's Democrat. Pro-life. Name whatever you want. Whatever divisive issue you have. And now instead of incident, right, now HR's involved, right? It becomes this big, complicated, really hard thing, right? And so what we really need to do is try to understand what the causes are. And, you know, you've kind of been in technology as well, right? They call it the five whys. Yep. What happened when you do root cause analysis? And so when you really start unpacking this incident, you find that this is the fourth incident with Joe, right? And Joe just has a personality and a style that rubs people wrong. And what you find is that – Joe's trying to solve some problem and he's been, you know, talking to different people and he goes to Sally and asks her what she thinks and she gives some some answers of what she thinks and he gives her no credit for it. And then in this meeting, which was a big meeting, and Joe was like, here's how I believe we should do it and literally says exactly what Sally said, right? Well, now Sally, she's like, you know, well, wait a minute, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black, gay? What, what? Yeah. So, you know, and, and the fact is, is that, this is not the first time with Joe. Joe is constantly, you know, and it, it's just it, maybe Joe's not aware that he's he he's an antagonist. He's solve, yeah, but maybe he's trying to solve a problem collaboratively, but he's not realizing that when he goes to present the problem, he's not giving to do. He say, "Listen, I've talked with Sally and everything else. And I thought Sally had a great idea, idea associated with this, and I talked to four other people, and I was able to use that to come up with this solution. And just just that fifteen seconds of giving credit." And understanding how he gathered the information makes all the difference, but he yeah. doesn't, right? And then now Sally blows up, and what happens is Sally usually is the one that ends up, you know, getting shot or or the right. incident, and uh, and really the root of the problem is Joe's awareness or something like that. So talent optimization, there's two phases. First phase is how do you design, hire, inspire, and, and diagnose the problems between business strategy and people strategy, right? The outcomes that you want. Yep. And what it comes down to, right? And what I we've discovered over the last year and a half is the four big problems people won't write a check for. Don't write a check for these four. But the four big disengagements is culture, a bad culture, right? The culture you allow versus the one you craft. Right? Yep. Bad job fit, right? You hired the wrong person for the wrong reasons, right, for this job. Bad team dynamics, right? To me, you know, teams should have some rub, right? There should be some friction between between teams in which they sharpen each other. You know, I always like to think between sales and delivery, right? There should be some tension there. Right? Yeah. But it, it, but that energy can't be pointing into the ground. It's got to be pointing up. Right? And the last one is managers, right? Which I think is is a big. If there's anything that we've done, and I feel like in the last twenty or thirty years, is stop investing in quality manager development, right? People how to be. How do you take someone from an employee to a manager? What we end up doing is some competency skills, and you see this a lot in engineering, and then make them a manager, and they suck at it, or they're not, they're not, uh, they haven't been built, you know, developed, and so their only way to improve is to leave and go somewhere else, right? You ever heard of Will Davis over at Ontario Systems? No, right? Yeah, great, great guy, chairman over there. I'm not sure what his role is. He was CEO, but he instituted a thing in his company. He said, I got tired of losing all my top engineers. He said, my engineers would be at the top. We'd make them a manager, and then they would quit. They quit. <laughs> he said, so what we did is we said, if you're an engineer and, and the next progression is to go to management, that it was going to be a two-year tour of duty, 
And any time during those two years, now, now we would take you to a manager. We, we wouldn't give you a raise, but we would give you the authority, right? We'd invest in you as a manager. But it's a two-year tour duty. And any time in that tour duty, you can come to us and say, hey, not the tour duty I want. We'll take you back to an engineer. You got the same money. No harm, no foul. Yep. No, remove the cultural thing like you was a loss, right? Like you right. You were bad. Right. Right. And you could go back to engineering. Because then I could keep them. He said, but after two years, if they really got to be a good manager, well, then they'd make it a permanent thing. And, and maybe there's an in, you know salary and things that would go with that. Right. But then their retention, right, on quality people would go up. Right. So so that's a, a, a kind of an example of just, you know, how do you make great managers, right? And I think managers, um, great managers are are built, right? And not necessarily uh, made. There are some people who have some natural pin it to it, but uh, but that investment. So anyway, that's probably more than 60 seconds, but that is talent optimization and how we, we look at it. And what we're doing is coming in and finding out where those problems are, right? Around design, hire, inspire, and diagnose associated with this culture job team manager. Uh, and then, you know, then we bring some things in to solve that, uh, which is, I think, the other problem that I, I have when I look at some of the things in the industry. Um, at the end of the day, we need to solve those problems, right? The culture job team manager problem. No one usually writes a check for that, right? Um, people talk about their culture, right? But they don't necessarily write a check for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things. But they want a good culture. And if they have a good culture, they, they're proud of it, right? If they craft it, right? So some of those things. But the, the piece I always see is at the end of the day, what you're trying to solve is that. And then so that means that we have to make better decisions individually or organizationally, which means we need some insight. Which needs to be, we need to gather some data. And so what we did is really looked at what are some of the assessment components that gathers the right data to make the best insights to solve the problems, but it's solving the problems is what we have to start with because too often I see people believe that the assessment tool is the answer for everything. You know, it's like, a, it's like everything's a nail and they've got a hammer and this one tool will solve every problem you have. Right. And, and that is wrong. Right. Well, that's what and, we see in technology as a whole, right? Is people will have the wrong team and they'll go invest in technology thinking that's going to be their solution. Yeah, And so yeah. I always tell people that there's a reason why every every consultant out there says people, processes, and platform. And it's that order. Yeah, it's, it's the people side, yeah. right? You know, look at, okay, um, well, every, the new norm or the better norm is every, a lot more people are going to be working from home. So uh, the answer to all of our communication problems will be Skype or Zoom, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> and because we're using Skype or Zoom, all these people problems are going to be solved, right? We're not going to have any communication problems. We're not going to have any style issues or cult. <laughs> yeah, you are. Right. As a matter of fact, it might be a little bit magnified. Um, so you might be start thinking about how you're going to diagnose these problems in advance <laughs> because they're going to come up. Oh, right? I, I've already seen it. I've, I had uh, someone talk to me the other day that um, they could totally do their job from home, but the, the management doesn't trust people working from home. So they've been calling them back to the office. Now there's literally no reason why they need to be in the office, but there's a lack of trust that, well, they're out of sight. So they're out of mind. And then you have the opposite problem that, all of a sudden, managers that are managing, you know, 30 people, 15 of them are at home watching Netflix all day and taking yeah. and, and not being productive. And so you have both sides to this problem. Yeah, And they don't know how to manage remotely because they're so used to being able to, you know, manage by walking around. And, right. You know, this is the other someone asked me, he's like, you know, we're going to go to this thing where everybody stays at home. And, and part of me says, well, I hope not. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I, I just think so. You know, we talk about veterans, right? So, uh, you know, when I was in the military, we had this thing called the uh, the tail hook. Uh, if you might remember this, this yeah, back in the, sure in the, do. Maybe eighties or or nineties, I think. But this tail hook incident, uh, you know, some Navy officers, I think, or pilots or something. Yep. And some prostitutes, but um, but I never forget what the commandant of the Marine Corps said, right? So he was talking to some reporter, and the reporter was saying, you know, you're going to put in some rules. Uh, to make sure that these things don't happen. And he said, listen, uh, 
guys and girls have been chasing each other from the dawn of time. I don't think any rule I have is going to make that go away. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, you know, at the time, you know, it seemed kind of comical, but, but, but he was serious in that, you know, I like to say guys and guys and girls have been chasing each other since the dawn of time and guys and guys and girls and girls there shortly thereafter. Right. Yeah. Um, you're just not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to create a policy that makes it go away. Right. Um, and so to me is, you know, Here's how I see it. Have you ever been, you know, I know you love music. You ever been to a concert and there's that certain part in the conference or the concert where you literally felt so connected to everyone around you and the music and it was like, wow. Yeah. Right. You ever been to the opening of the Indianapolis uh, 500, the beginning of the, right, that magic 30 minutes leading up to it. Right. And then it, it, kick, it kicks off. Right. Um, and you just like the humanity of it, uh, you know, game four, the last two minutes of a, of a tight game, yep. uh, you know, world series game seven, ninth inning. Right. Uh, I just think it, that humanity, we, we are, we are built and we, we need human interaction. Right. And, um, so I, I know that it'll be different for a while, but we're going to have to get back to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the, the one thing I've observed during this, which I, I'm, I'm, encouraged by is to watch the young people. Now I know that they're, you know, they're supposed to be following the rules, but they are so desperate to get together. Yeah. Right. And they've got all the stuff, right. They've got the phones, they got all that. Right. I mean, if you'd have told me a hundred years ago that our primary modes of mode of communication was I'm going to tap on a piece of glass and you're going to tap on the other side. <laughs> right? That's almost like magic. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and here's young people and they have all that. They've, they've never known it to not be that way. And all they want to do is get together. Yeah. Right. And we're telling them, hey, don't break the rules, you know, it's safety. And and and, and they're and we're right. But but there'll come a point where they're gonna to want to get back together. Yeah. And there's an opportunity there, by the way. Whoever can create the safe environment where they can get back together, there's a business there, a big one. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of opportunities there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Remember when we talked about the five stages of a company? Why? A leadership of governance, which is risk mitigation, right? Get these small mom and pops, right? They're, there's, you know, they're different, right? They have a different way of seeing risk, right? So innovation, they have to, to survive, right? I love that you mentioned that too, because one of the things that I see it, that happens in startups a lot is, um, uh, I'm, I'm not going to mention like a, a company, but imagine a fortune 100 company. And I, and I cringe almost every time I see it, that this small business that's you know, got a couple million dollars in funding, hires this executive that worked at Fortune 100 oh. company so and so, and I and I always like just gasp, you know, because they think that this is their ticket. This is the this is the person that's going to bring them. But what they never realized was that this person has always worked in an environment where there was a thousand employees plus and two year product cycles and 10 years of, you know, uh, institutional knowledge. You know, venture VC guys do it all the time, guys and gals, right? The, those companies do it all the time. I find someone who's a rock star at, a, at an established company and I'm going to put them in a raw startup, right? And they're going to come in and bring, they're going to be looking around going, well, well, where's the IT guy to fix my problems, right? They're used to, they're used to moving resources around, not necessarily solving problems, different sales cycles and everything else. Right. And they used to, uh, in the military, we used to say, you know, generals like to go like this near the map. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and we tend to, you know, we tend to like, you know, where do you want me to point the gun? Right. They're, you know, they're moving big steps. They're like, where's my field of fire here. Right. So how, do, how do I do that? So, you know, when I look at the last downturn, if you look at the strongest companies today, so I, I restored our, our, this farmhouse that we have today. And, uh, you know, I went through probably, you know, 65 different contractors and, uh, I got it down to, I could tell you when the company started based on the best ones, the best contractors, I'd say, tell me, did you get started in 2010 or 2011? Right. I hit a hundred percent. It was either 2010 or 2011. And so what these companies were, and this, I think that is what we need to hear when we think through this downturn that we're going through now is that these were people that were sort of mid-level or large companies, right? That during the downside either went away 
right? Or be or started treating their employees like transactions, right? And they just got fed up of it, right? And so they said, "To hell with this! I'm gonna go start my own company, right? Because you know I'm either gonna work for you know nickel an hour or I'm gonna go start my own company." They start their own company. Uh, there's actually a guy who has a video log I think called the Million Dollar Plumber, and he's from Indianapolis of all places, right? I was actually in Europe when I found one of video logs and he ended up from Indianapolis. But uh, they started investing in their people, communication, uh, you know, like just doing the basics of leadership. And uh, they would come in and, and, you know, it was a fair price for great, uh, a great product, great craftsmanship and things that they would do. Right. Um, and it, it just it took a couple of years before they said, the hell with this, I'm going to go start my own thing. And so they usually started it in 2010 or 2011. And then they were rocking it. And I think right now the trades, you know, we'll see, um, you know, things I would like to see us do socially right, as, as, a, as a United States. I'd like to see us get back to making more things. Uh, I, I really, I think that's something that we've, we've kind of got, yeah, and pride in making things, uh, you know, apprenticeships and, and uh, you know, and pride in making things, right? And even I think, uh, you know, even software, right? People write software. There is a, a, as you know, there's people who take tremendous pride in what they write and the, the responsibility that they have with it. At the end of the day, you know, and this is where I think you are in your career. See, you, in the beginning, you're just looking for a job and then you're trying to find a career that matches your purpose, right? And then there is a point where you, you, you lean into it so much that it becomes your vocation. I used to have a word for this, I call gaff, right? Geek after five. These are the people that are doing the meetups after five o'clock. Uh, they're like learning new stuff. They're getting together on weekends with friends and trying to solve problems in their space and not being paid for it per se. Right? Exactly. And then what happens, uh, particularly when you see this with young people, right? Uh, Ten years later, they're this they're the C-level executives at some startup, right? Uh, or they're you know they get further along in their career. Uh, you know, those are the things that I've always encouraged young people to do is go find and network with people, <clears throat> excuse me, who uh, who care about the problems you care about and willing to, you know, figure it out. Like, what's the new ways of looking at it or how are we going to do that? Um, it, it, that's where the innovation comes from. Well, they the, don't have any money. Right. So so it's all about being, you know, uh, Wiley. That's that's exactly it. It's all about providing that value. I was telling I was telling people like this this downturn. Um, if you talked to me three months ago and uh, and you wanted some assistance, I was busy. I had tons of clients. I had and so yeah. It, unless there was some type of transaction that was going to happen where you were going to compensate me for my time and everything else, it probably wasn't going to happen. But every day right now, I'm working for free for multiple companies. Why am I doing that? Well, one, they're friends of mine that I want to see their companies survive and thrive during this downturn. But two is I'm making a massive investment in my future. I could be just sitting at home and watching Netflix, and but I'm sitting here right now learning how to optimize Shopify and, and develop plugins and things that I know that are going to provide additional value, especially moving forward where... Maybe companies aren't going to invest in a two-year strategic vision with me, but in three months, if I can flip some of their revenue or profit or something, I'm taking these opportunities to to, to kind of learn this. And I think I think there's a message out there, especially for again for young people, where hey, if I'm not working and I'm not getting paid, I'm not doing anything. I'm gonna I'm just gonna sit around. Whoa, this is the perfect time to invest time that you're going to be at the lead when you exactly what you said, you're going to come out of this C level if you do this right, because this is when I, I hate to say it, but this is when companies use this as an excuse to shed some of the dead weight that they had on their payroll. I, I was there at big companies and when corporate said, you know, you got to cut 10% of your staff we were sad and happy. Yes. I call it through, I call it addition through subtraction. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and part of it was we got rid of all the troublemakers and the whiners and the, and the people that were just in the office every day, making everybody's lives miserable and, and everything else. You know what those people were? Those are people driving the carts with the, with the wobbly wire, the wobbly tire. And so, you know, to me, it's, 
yeah, they're whining and everything else because they weren't at the place that really you, you're absolutely right to blow them up. So it's not that they're evil or anything else. No. It's just it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. And uh, and so a lot of times, you know, they, you know, they get shown the door, and then but when they do find their thing, there so many people have come to me a year, two years later, and say, John, it was the best gift you could ever give me. Right. But at the, t- at the time, I was a you know I was the jerk. I was a you know uh, whatever some strong word right. Um, but it was just wasn't a good fit. Yeah. I, I, hey, I'm I'm that guy. Yeah, I've been on both sides of it, right? I was fired from the newspaper industry, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life because I was so frustrated and going into work every single day, not being a positive co-worker, just upset, frustrated, you know, everything else. When they booted me, that's when all these opportunities came, and it, and it transformed my career. Yeah. If there is one thing I want, I just wish everybody would just stop for a second and remember as the, all this is going on. And uh, it is don't confuse the value of I with R. Right. And let me tell you what that means. So often we believe that our value is tied to the salary that we make with the role that we have with an organization, the, the R, right? The roles in our life, right? You know, and I just had a, a you know, uh, my wife and I's first uh, granddaughter, grandchild, who's actually here at the house, right? It's, it's awesome, right? Oh, so, congratulations. Uh, so she's eight weeks old. And I always remember, remember this, but it is, if you looked at a newborn child, right? How, and if I said, if you wanted to know the potential of this, zero being none and 10 being absolutely through the roof, when you look at a young child, a, a newborn child, what, what, what score would you give it from zero to 10? You'd always give it a 10. Because that's what the potential is worth, right? And that's what they're worth, right? It's this huge potential, and uh, and they're worth everything, right? They're they're a ten, but somehow as we go through life, we we start taking on these different roles, and we start saying that our value is tied to that role, and our value is tied to how much we make, right? And that head trust. But here's the thing: you are a you were a ten when you were born. You're a ten today. And you're going to die at 10 on the way up, right? Yes. Your potential, your eye value, who you are, right, is, is worth that. And the problem is, as you go through life, you're going to take some roles. And, and our society says that this role has a compensation and value to it. I promise you, if the Colts announce that John Qualls will be their new starting quarterback for 2020, uh, first, you better call Vegas and, and, and bet on the under. Right? <laughs> But here's the thing. I, let's just say for some reason they want to give me the minimum, league minimum, which I take right now, uh, to go out there and, and attempt to throw some footballs. I'd probably go out and give it a shot. Uh, but I, it, it, that role, me in that role, right, it ain't going to go very well, right? But that has nothing to do with the value of me. It just means that in that role, that I'm just not successful in that role, right? I don't even know if I could throw a 15-yard uh, ball right now. Right? I'm old. I got I got pains. But uh, – and that's what I, I see happen here, right? So people are going to, um, you know, they're going to get furloughed, everything else. I mean, I, I did a staff, uh, you know, compensation reduction to buy us some more runway. And I can see, you know, some of the younger folks we have, right? In their mind, um, they're worth some, you know, they're, they're worth some dollar amount, right? And then somehow they, they, they equate that to what their personal worth is. No, at the end of the day, you have a role within the organization. This is what that role is worth to the organization, right? Big or small. It's not that we don't care about you, but this is what the role is. And to keep that role, I need to do certain things, or maybe that role goes away, right? You know, my organization or any other, um, but it has nothing to do with the value of that person, right? It just means as a business, this is what the role is worth. That's a beautiful right? way of putting it. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, so, and what you end up finding is, is you, once you get past the anger of the dismissal or, or whatever those things are, then you go, you go seek the role that really fits to who you are, right? And when you really have a great role, and you get into that career, you know, and vocation mode, uh, then it doesn't feel so much like work. It's just so it feels like more like your purpose and what you do, right? Absolutely. So, well, for for companies interested in uh, purposely, and it should should I call it purposely? You're cha- and now you're changing the domain, right? Here's the thing. Anybody that wants to go to app.purpose.ly, there's an account there that's free. They want to understand a little bit more about themselves. Uh, There's some great tools there to gather some information about yourself. 
you know, for us, we'll, you know, anybody that that looks at any of those things and wants to get some interpretation, I've been doing it for, you know, you've been doing things. I've been uh, doing personal counseling for people. We're, we're not a personal coaching organization uh, per se, but I've been doing it uh, and investing in, in people, uh, what I call mustard seeds, right? You know, you plant as many mustard seeds as you want. Um, but I've been investing in people during this time because I have the time. Uh, and then they end up, you know, pulling us in as an organization later on. That's great. Yeah. Heck, uh, I got this thing going on on April 17th. I might want to have you involved in it. Uh, I do have a little bit of money. Uh, but if you want to make an investment in this thing that we're doing, I'm, let's chat, right? Yeah. But, uh, but back to, to this. Yeah. So go to pur uh, at, uh, purpose.ly. Um, if they go to app.purpose.ly, that's our app. Uh, and it's free. And they can uh, learn a little bit about themselves. Um, you know, we've been doing things with uh, families and just uh, anybody that keeps us busy, uh, has an opportunity to, to do a little personal coaching and, and some awareness. Because at the end of the, end of the day, the more you can find your me, the better you will know what your we looks like. Yeah. I really believe that. And by the way, in that order, how many times have you seen someone found a we that then becomes to define who they are? And when they lose their we, they're lost because they never really found themselves. Right? right. So I encourage everyone to, you know, do a little, this is some time to be looking at yourself and understanding your me, uh, emotional intelligence and things like that. There's great tools out there. We have some, you know, but there's great ones out there to, to reflect on because once you understand your me, the we gets a lot easier to select uh, and then you're really really rocking it. I totally agree. And at a, at an organizational level, what you're helping people do is, is help develop their strengths over time to align with the mission and vision of the company. Absolutely. I, I, I knew I was in the right space. I was in a meeting and someone said, how many people have people problems? And everybody raised their hands. At the end of the day, we want to solve people problems, right? Uh, and what people problems do you got, right? Well, we got culture issues. We got, we can't seem to hire the right people. Uh, we don't know who to grow uh, from an Inspire standpoint. We got issues and we got team dynamics. We got all these things that just seem to be broken all the time. Uh, great. That's what we want to come in and solve those. I'm, I was talking to one company. I was like, give me your worst business unit, right? Uh, and that, you know, that my whole journey, I feel like has been just uh, layering on teaching me some things, right, uh, to be able to show up at this moment uh, with this organization. And this, it's just so rewarding. Uh, I am using technology, right, and right. some science and stuff. Uh, so I'm still able to do this investment I've made over 30 years. But this part about just seeing people light up and when they really enjoy themselves and their work uh, is just so rewarding. And that's, that's, that's kind of why I'm doing it, right? I just know that it's going to work out one way or the other. Um, but just to see the impact it makes, uh, it's just the greatest reward I can give myself. And, and, uh, I think it's, it's my place to be and our place to be. Now more than ever, companies really need to figure out this people problem. And unfortunately, a lot of companies, it's the first thing that they're going to cut from their priority list. Right. That's and, right. and, and it's a, ter a terrible, terrible thing. Now, now the funny thing is, is I see the same people say the same thing about marketing. I'm a marketing consultant and I would tell you right now to probably cut your marketing a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and so, but on the people side, I, I would say that the opposite is true that now if you have to retract and you have to cut, let's say 10% of your staff or maybe even 30% of your staff, um, now more than ever, you need to figure out what the alignment is of having the right people, you know, remain that have the institutional knowledge and the motivation and determination to help the company, you know, basically plant those mustard seeds for the future. And so now more than ever, I really think that companies really need to say, okay, as, as part of this downturn, if we're going to cut our expenses and cut this, these people from our staff, we better invest in a, in some, some kind of technology or some kind of service that's going to help us, you know, get the right people that are left and help these people be successful because we might be digging out of a big hole here for the next, you know, year or two. And, and you're right in that they, they better build a great foundation to bounce off of, right? Because if they just cut it 
and they cut up a lot of their foundation, that thing's going to crumble. So now's the time to really build a better foundation prepared to where it's going, right? So you, you hit it exactly. Well, thank you for your time today. And uh, we will put links uh, in there both for, the, uh, for the, the app as well as the company. And I would encourage everybody to reach out. One, two, personally on my personal uh, weight loss journey and everything else, John has helped me and provided a ton of guidance that really helped me come to a, uh, a life-changing decision. And so you're a, you're a, a good friend and, and someone that I really respect. And so thanks for spending the time with us today and sharing your wisdom with everybody. Thank you for the honor. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.